Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast, a thestump.com production. That's the new way I'm going to say it. <laughs> We're a production company. With me today, <laughs> that's right. With me today is my brother, as always, in reading, Hello. Ryan Wood. I'm Travis Wood of thestump.com. And welcome back to our third edition. It's exciting. We, uh, we've decided to tackle a graphic novel for this one, Paper Girls, book one. Not volume one or not chapter one, but book one, which was released, I think, this year, or at least somewhat recently. I think so. Actually, let's see. Like most comic graphic novels, it's released you know, in installments, and then occasionally they'll get together and collect it onto a nice hardback edition. So that's what we are covering for this month, April 2018. We'll kind of jump in with our usual start, uh, which is a fill-in-the-blanks, you know, middle school-inspired activity. Um, for this month, I figured, since this book has such an ensemble cast of characters, that's kind of the setup, that we would do a kind of straightforward fill-in-the-blank exercise. Um, kind of a basic human connection thing here, Ryan. Which paper girl do you think you're most like? The fill-in-the-blank I wrote was, the paper girl I am most like is blank. And we have the, the main characters in this story are there's four yep. of them all of them teenage paper girls very uh very aaron, relatable to me that's right aaron mac tiffany and kj uh who frankly isn't well we'll get into that but she disappears for a good chunk of the story so maybe yeah. it's kj but um <laughs> who do you who did you find yourself uh relating the it's most an interesting to? question uh i based on just appearances alone i almost have to default to Mac because of the freckles and because of her uh, oh, just complexion in general. Uh, also, she swears the most, I think. She smokes cigarettes. So uh, just on those two or three things, I would just have to go with Mac, the ruffian. She, she, Yeah, she is a ruffian. She's the um, definitely the hard-edged kind of g- girl of the four of them. Um, she is introduced... And I think the, the book's tone is set immediately. I think it's like on the second or third page, or at least after there's a dream sequence yes. in the beginning. She's introduced as immediately uh, swearing at a teenage boy and challenging him. So her tone is set pretty Yeah, pretty she early. drops an early F-bomb, which, you know, I do not agree with. But, uh, it, yeah, it does. It really gives you, <laughs> gives you an immediate idea of what her character is like and... Um, yeah, she's the all-around uh, bad girl, I guess, of the group. Yeah, and we'll I, we'll probably get into her arc later. I think for me, the paper girl I'm most like is Tiffany, though not for too many reasons, not for an accumulation of things, but for one line is towards the end of the of the book or of this uh, book. They're in the helicopter with Aaron's sister in in 2016 yep. timeline. They've witnessed, you know, these monsters fighting each other. They've seen people get evaporated. They have traveled. They've witnessed time travel. They've been cured by cockroach bugs. She, they're sitting in the helicopter, and she says, "This has been kind of a weird day, huh?" (laughs) And I thought that that line delivered in that moment, uh, in that way, I think is pretty fitting of my approach to most serious things in life. You know, a healthy amount of detachment, <laughs> and you know, a little bit, a little yeah, bit of snark. Yeah, that's true. Just a little, little bit of I sarcasm. Tried, I just had to open that page now, and um, that draws the probably the most heartfelt sentence out of my uh, supposed character, Mac. She just says, "I love you." <laughs> so, yeah, yeah intimate that's moment it. between the two characters there. 
That is. Yeah, it was a nice yeah. quiet moment. And I think she had even be- the line's even better because it says, this has been kind of a weird yeah, day. Yeah, probably. And Which is yeah, pretty fitting. To, uh, it's a good way to fill the silence. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, I found that moment, if not uh, the whole character, but it's certainly that moment relatable. Well, quite I could also see that, uh, and this kind of leads into uh, one of our questions we're going to get into later, but um, her that was her dream sequence with the uh, Pong, or what was that? Like the Brick brick Breaker game? Well, yeah, it looked like, um, there, there's a name, that game has a very famous name, but yeah, Brick Breaker, where it's it's Pong, but against a set of slates yeah. or tiles, and you're trying to, like, chip them yeah. away, and um, that, I think it's Arach, Arachnoid, or there, there's a pretty famous yeah. old version yeah. of that game. Oh, well. It's, it's been remade yeah, infinitely. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I just call it Brick Breaker, because it used to be on the Blackberry. I don't know if that was before your time, but yeah. that was a major... Uh, no, Major no. Part of my life. I had my BlackBerry yeah. for too long. <laughs> oh yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, I had my BlackBerry for probably four years uh, past the expiry yeah. expiration well, date. R.I.P. Uh, well, let's let's dig into this one. Um, the four main characters definitely dominate the story. It's kind of a nostalgia adventure trip. Um, and the I had picked it up or thought it might be good because I had read other things that Brian Vaughn yeah. has written. Uh, he's the, he's the author of the book not the artist that almost never happens with comics that'd or graphic be, novels that'd be doing both. it'd be too much it'd be too monumental yeah i think that'd yeah. be too much um but he's done saga which i really love that's like a another kind of bizarro sci-fi you know epic tale kind of year spanning and then he also did why the last man which is kind of an apocalyptic um all men on earth except for one have died strange kind of uh, action. It's more action adventure, okay. I guess I'd say, but it kind of dystopia, utopia maybe. Well, you'd have to read it. That's a longer okay. series. Um, this is an intriguing book though, to have read if for no other reason, than like most graphic novels that get published like this, where they get this hard back, you know, halfway through this story is, it seems far from over. So there's no, <laughs> I mean, it definitely, there are thematic things that run throughout it that tie it together. And there's definitely moments to discuss, yeah. but it's not like at the end, there's any resolution or there's, there's not, you can't take too many firm yeah. conclusions from the book in currently how it is. I mean, this story, like I said, is seems far oh, from yeah. over. Yeah. It seems like we've uh, kind of just scratched the surface somehow. Yeah. And he's uh, Brian Vaughn. At least this holds true. There's other comic books or graphic novels I've read, but he definitely enjoys the full page, like surprise splash, which I think probably most graphic novelists, comic book artists and oh, writers sure. do kind of the, here's a full page, you know, yeah. here's a twist or here's a yeah, shot. Right at the end of the chapter too. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah and that's, he, that's definitely in full effect here. That's one of his stylistic turns. Um, let me ask you another kind of style question. I don't have a ton of language for analyzing graphic yeah. novels. Um, but you're, you're a graphic designer, so I thought I would write sure. up this question. And I'm sure there's more technical terms for this. Um, but in a, in a book like this where color plays a significant role, which did any color choice strike you? It's a very purple book. The covers cover is hot pink. And the, the te- yeah, the- it's sort of playing off this very kind of um, 80s neon uh, very almost like pastel kind of like if you could even compare those two together, but yeah, it's, it has a really interesting color story throughout. Actually the last, the last couple pages, I think were the ones that 
struck me the most, and this is interesting because it just goes back to a very traditional blue sky, green grass, which you didn't get at all throughout the entire book. Um, yeah, the entire front of the story when they're in the Cleveland of yeah. their day. I think it's Cleveland, Cleveland right? Yeah. Ohio? Uh, yeah, yeah, Cleveland. And yeah, it's, it's pretty much, I mean, you can't, I guess, call it monochrome, but it's just different shades of purple Yeah, they pink. play that uh, early morning kind of dusk uh, color palette really well. It seems like, you know, in the very beginning of the book, she gets out of bed at four. Everybody's getting ready to do their neighborhood paper route. And it just kind of sticks that way. Well, I mean, also the sky turns pink uh, when the clouds open up and, you know, we'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, it just has a very kind of soft pink, purple, hazy blue kind of, um, it seems like they're just stuck in an eternal, uh, an eternal dawn. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Night is always on. I suppose, and you know, no shouts or no... uh, shots fired at Cleveland, but that's a very particular place to set a a story set in, you know, always nighttime. Yeah, Yeah, that is true. I found the, um, and I think they, some of the terminology, like the last science fiction book we covered, I will just forget, (laughs) use our own descriptions. We can be very literal. Uh, the, the floating eyeball in orbs that, that chase them, that want to track them and, um, can manipulate yes. them maybe psychologically. Anyway, I thought that color was pretty striking. It's I think the first time the book really commits to something neon and really yeah. like stark. Also, uh, and so it yeah. just jump it just jumps out as alien, which in you know the most literal way is yeah. fitting. Yeah. But I just found it really an off putting color. This lime green assault on the page. Yeah. No, that's a that's a really interesting point, and I believe the proper term for that creature is an Edatrix. Yeah, I did want to bring that up actually and talk about that a little bit. But yeah, he is basically a glowing bright lime green bulb with tentacles and eyeballs attached to the end. And yeah, eyeballs. Well, they apparently see inward into the person. Yeah, but um, you know, let's not get it too ahead of ourselves. We'll uh, we'll double back to the Edatrix later because I've got a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah, certainly, certainly. What other, uh, what else struck you about this book? What other questions so do we have? these chicks go on like a, they end up going on a pretty wild adventure through time, uh, space, you could say. Uh, a lot of things going on. A lot of other characters introduced, and it seems like everybody wants to convince them that they are being, uh, they're the ones telling them the truth about the future, about the danger that they're in, about who's chasing them, about, you know. So I had a, I had a pretty interesting time uh, figuring out who to trust, and I wanted to know who you thought was out of all of those, and we can kind of introduce these, like, weirdo characters, uh, who you trust the most. Yeah, it's a curious question. I, I think the uh, I was initially drawn to the um, the future adult garb. They're like these proto night yeah. people. They kind of look like stormtroopers, <laughs> but um, yeah, they're stormtroopers, but they're, they're no, not helmeted. A little no. more relatable, and they also speak the most hilarious, uh, janky like, kind of dialect of what seems like slang yeah, English, but it's, it's really not. It's more like young adults, not even young, but like child yeah, English. It's, uh, it sounds pretty dumb. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They you always have to be wary though of an authoritarian draped in the common man's garb. Not to be too relevant, but the, I don't. The old man, I certainly don't. There's there's too much around that old man, uh, yep. their leader who hasn't been named. No. I don't think for me to say I trust them. But initially, I think the scene that struck me and this book, but I just wanted to mention this earlier, didn't get a chance. Doesn't have page numbers, which just really kills me. It really <laughs> does. I can't. I can't hate on that decision enough. I mean, I get there's like beautiful art, and I don't really write on yeah. these pages, but no page numbers are hey, killing man. me. Hey, um, let's not. I purposely didn't read it on my phone. Let's not constrict this uh, work of art to. Uh, you can't go by page. You just got to go by feel. Yeah. <laughs> It's just inconvenient, I suppose. Uh, but I was saying that I think I, w- I initially like the knight a- approach, you know, that classic civility, that classic, I don't know, um, chivalry and that appearance. But then it, it was kind of reinforced because the-, the mutilated future teens who are obviously supposed to be like immediately yes. off-putting yes. You know, visually, um, they've been you know, mangled some in some way. Uh, they immediately come through the first time they're talking to one of these adults with this yeah. broken English uh, and immediately shoot just shoot yeah, him just in the him. head and yeah. just kill him. And, so, yeah. and then that's something that the future Aaron, super future Aaron, not 2016 Aaron, the teenage one, when she gets introduced at the very end, she immediately drops in, doesn't have the language recorder yeah. change device. And just immediately evaporates a person in the in yeah, some parking lot. Just destroys. Uh, so I, you know, I think that the book, and we can kind of lean into this question, but uh, the book is, I mean, obviously concerned with adults versus yeah. teens. I mean, in the most literal conflict sense. But they're trying to set up, or you know, the authors are setting up. This is the kind of major conflict, major thematic element. And I just can't, you know, I guess I can't say I fully trust the teens either. They come through with the most heinous violence. That is, that is which, true. And they uh, they I mean, are the ones, <laughs> this is also another uh, big part of the book, is they're the ones who are carrying uh, the Apple device, which also kind of brought yeah. an element to the story that I was not expecting. Um, they make some major... Uh, implications about where technology is heading and these teens, these mangled teens, uh, they're the ones who seem to be using and relying on the Apple technology. And, um, yeah, although, yeah, there's some imagery to complicate that, but yeah, they, or at least they have some command of it. They know what it is. Um, this though, in the tradition of a lot of, um, you know, openings of books, and I'm sure when this story is undone, this will sit as maybe the first third or half, or maybe not even. Uh, there's, just, I mean, there's just no person answering any questions <laughs> right now. It's, it's it, this this chunk of this story seems to be very much setting yeah, up characters, sure. and you get to know them, and they they play off each other, and um, there and there's deeper thematic things than that, obviously. But yeah, there's no. It's hard to speculate on things like that. It is at this point just utter mystery with no resolution, yeah. which is good. I mean, it works for this. You know, for a first set yeah, I of definitely books. have to. Um, I definitely have to buy the next one now. I can't just let it. Let it yeah, dropping at this point would be yeah. just dangerous. That's actually. I, that's how I reacted to. Like I said, he has another graphic novel, Why the Last Man, and I kind of reacted neutrally to the first. I think I read the first three chapters yeah. of books, and there's, I think it ended up being nine. Um, and I, but once you're, I was that deep in, I thought, I, I'm intrigued to see where this goes, to see if they can answer some questions they've asked yeah. 
Um, and I was actually pretty satisfied with that series. Anyway, nice. tangent, tangent mm-hmm. over. Um, so what, that's what I wanted to transition to. The if we accept that the book is kind of setting up teens and adults as the as the issue at yeah. hand, what did you make of it? I mean, we talked about, I guess, the teens seem to be employing that classic teen aggression, you know, hyper-violent. Oh, sure. um, but the adults are kidnapping teens. It seems pretty blatant, you know, storing them in pods and whatnot. What did you make of the conflict and how it's presented? Um, I think they play off a lot of the uh, stereotypical teen rebellion, you know. Uh, Mac goes home and her, you know, mom or stepmom is the she's the alcoholic and she's abusive and um, you kind of have her playing off that. And uh, the adults, yeah, the uh, hipster, (laughs) let's just call him the hipster grandpa. He's wearing an Apple records t-shirt. He's got long hair he's got sandals Uh on. Um, They're storing. Yeah. They seem to be storing kids in some like matrix meets. uh, I don't know independence day type of lab um i don't know Mm -hmm. so you have this like really traditional kind of like rebellious teen thing but then obviously set against uh these futuristic like teenage mutants versus uh like hyper soldier uh flying on dinosaurs kind of thing going on so it's it's kind of all over the place but uh some of it feels familiar and I'm cool with that. The one interesting thing though, to me was um, how kind of angsty and judgmental Aaron was when she met herself in 2016. Yeah. It's funny. That was uh, the only part I was going to bring up that we had for this kind of framing the story in this thematic conflict way. I mean, that seems like such a critical moment, right? You have a, you know, manifestation of the teenager literally has yeah, become an adult and gets to, yeah, yeah, interact with herself, to yourself talk. as a, yeah, and the, it's like, she was like, oh, you're single. Oh, you still work. You're like, you have a shitty job. Like you're living alone. Yeah, and it's I, like, dude, take it easy. This, this could be total projection. I mean, I think for me, but I also found that part, I, you know, as someone who's taught teenagers and I still tutor teenagers, like, it did all come across as maybe a bit too swift or sudden. Like there's nothing particularly wrong with her life. You know, she's stable employed. I I don't know if she's, she seems unhappy of course. And maybe, maybe that's the thing. Maybe Aaron, you know, her just picks up on that more subtly than we do as readers. Maybe we haven't been careful, but that I agree. It just, that part of it felt too rushed. Uh, There was, I, I mean, I guess, you know, you can't waste pages on just the shock and awe of like, Wait, what? Holy shit! There's a young yeah, version of myself. Yeah, like, exactly, um, but it it did it did very quickly move to condemnation and the teens thinking like, "Wow, you're an adult loser." Yeah. I've actually found that teenagers usually, and granted, this is my limited experience, but they'll usually be a bit more reserved. I'm not gonna say like reverential, but they'll even your minor adult stories they'll think maybe sound kind of interesting because a lot of them are curious about yeah. adulthood and like being able to do things like a ton of them asked me about I, college in particular and you know the freedom yeah. of that um but I, I don't know i so yeah i agree with that that conflict and how that was supposed to maybe yeah. amplify it it just didn't i just don't think it worked in every panel yeah, i agree i agree yeah um let me see so 
I mean, kind of going back towards Aaron, um, I guess she kind of does seem like the most interesting character. She has the most uh, things going on, I guess you could say. Um, and she has two kind of weird uh, dream sequence. Actually, would three kind of, would three be the number if we're counting the video game flashback? But that was uh, so. That was Tiffany, oh. and that was specifically when the uh, the eyeball monster. Or, I thought the Edatrix was a something else, but anyway, the when the eyeball monster oh, okay. grabbed her. Um, but Aaron, yeah, she's got she's got a lot going on. We oh, the book actually opens with um, a dream sequence that she's having, which is uh, pretty bizarre. And um, there's another one, but how do you think? Um, those kind of shaped her. She also, you know, she's the only one who meets her future self. Um, yeah, it just seems like the, she gets hit with the heaviest uh, kind of stuff. I think it, you have to go back to the opening one after, I mean, this is true for a lot of, you know, introductions to any fiction, but looking back at the introduction after you've read everything is so much more telling. Yeah, You know, there are figures in the opening. There's one that's clearly an angel, one that's yep. a demon. And, you know, they're presenting and she's got an apple in her hand. Symbolically, that's about as biblical as it yeah, gets, sure. really. I mean, without being too over the beating you too over the head. Um, and I, I suppose that'll work itself in right with the technology they're they're messing with. And again, all that stuff is unresolved up to the point we've read. Um, but it does seem that it's just kind of setting up that within her there are pretty straightforward conflicts of achievement. I mean, right. It's set in a school. She has to save her sister with these questions. She's asked trivia questions, essentially, or like school history yeah. questions. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing it pre- pretty clearly sets up is the bond she has yeah, with her true. sister. It's defensive and loving. And I think, I mean, the story is also kind of strange uh, in the way that it immediately kind of pushes that aside. And it, the, she has these surrogate sisters, right? These other paper girls who she grows, you know, to, into yes. friendship with over yeah. the story. Cause you really don't even get to see her interact with her sister just when she's in the 2016 future yeah. version. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess that's true. That's a nice way to bookend it, I guess. Cause there's, yeah, there's no, we're not actually sure. I mean that again, sometimes in graphic novels, one page can do a lot of lifting. Um, and I think maybe this, this introduction is, it's effective for a visual setting, you know, just to say this is the kind of strange imagery that we will be, you know, trading in in this yeah, book. Yeah, for sure. But uh, but also it sets up, I think, you know, maybe some of Aaron's internals with her sister and her relationship with her. Yeah. But I'm wondering if they'll look back around, you know, to her younger, you know, 1980s, the, the Aaron we know first her sister because yeah she doesn't appear really in the story yeah. at all just in the yeah, beginning that's true um, um the other thing the other was in a pumpkin patch with her father do did you have any thoughts on that i thought that one i would give you a page number but that I can't. one uh, i thought was interesting i'm actually scrolling back to find that now but i do remember uh at the end he also brings the apple out so that's kind of another right, uh, right little theme that we're brought back to. He's, um, he's kind of talking to her and he says, you know, remember your papers gives her the apple back. Um, bad dream sequence. I don't know. She's, well, let's put it in context a little bit. She, (laughs) she's actually, uh, shot, uh, by Mac on accident after a argument, I think with her, yeah, mom, stepmom. Um, 
shoots a friend on accident. They, of course, have to jump in the car. In the car, she passes out, and she is then awoken by her father, I believe. Right? That's her dad. Yeah, it also looks like Ronald Reagan. Totally. Which they, I, the book, the book goes to great lengths to remind you of its setting. Um, this is an interesting set of pages, though, just because – I, you know, there's a lot of dialogue that mixes with imagery well here, but there's, you know, the scene of them ice skating yep. across the pond uh, above, you know, the classic Star Wars, you know, future war that we were told was going to happen, yeah. you know, in this uh, Cold yeah. War. CCP um, on the, uh, CCCP yeah. on the uh, warheads there. And I'm also just noticing the Charlie Brown uh, Christmas tree on the ground. Yep, yep. It's, it's I think, just a loss of innocence yeah. here. And, and, I mean, it's, it's hitting it in uh, at several angles at once, which is, you know, visually what graphic novels do so well. But there's this idea that you're, you know, you're enjoying this childlike innocence where above you there are things that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And then the dialogue on the next page is, you know, why are things happening to me? Why am I in this trouble? Yeah. And he says, you've known about that since you realized about Santa. And she says that she misses fifth yeah. grade, which, you know, just speaks to that that is the transitionary stage. That's why teaching middle school is such a disaster zone. <laughs> At least that was my that was my five-year brief 10-year experience. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the, those critical years when – you're in neither world. Yeah. So you just, you know, yeah. rebel against both. You know, you don't want to be a kid. You, you want to know things, capital T things about the capital W world. Yeah. But there's also a sense that it's, you know, above you and you don't really, you can't really engage yeah. with it. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, yeah, going back to the adults versus teens, I think there is a weird kind of bridge between, yeah, where they're at and then, you know, rebelling against, rebelling against, you know, being being a kid, but then also, you know, trying to fight off these adults and eventually growing up and the, the nostalgia, um, you know, and she says it there, she misses fifth grade. Um, I didn't notice this until you said that, but on the bottom of the, not the page with the ice skating, but the next yeah. one, um, the the bottom left frame, she's got the Char- uh, classic Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown yeah, she has that exact that well. look. <laughs> she's yeah, she has the exact look that Charlie Brown, his, his iconic, I am confused and I think hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they do draw back to this a couple of times during the book where um, they allude to the fact that, when Aaron, you know, future Aaron in 2016, she says, oh, you know, like, we didn't really stay friends after, you know, uh, like, I'm not, I no yeah. longer talk to uh, KJ or Tiffany or anybody. Um, and then also in this dream sequence, Aaron has her dad um, saying that even when she was a kid, she had no friends. <laughs> and that kind of, uh, right, right. yeah, so she didn't have friends before and she might not have friends after. So this is a very, uh, yeah, yeah. in the middle, stuck in the middle. Well, maybe maybe this that. is a way too then to make sense of the, the character work that we didn't like later when she gets to 2016, Aaron. I mean, it feels very abrupt, like we, I'd said, but I, that's just her disappointment. I suppose she, she assumed she would grow out of it. Maybe she assumed she wouldn't become a lonely adult or an alone adult. I don't know if she's lonely. She does have a Xanax yeah. prescription. So she obviously has some, you know, issues with anxiety or depression. Yep. Um, but the, maybe that just kind of fuels that immediate distaste, distrust. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. 
Yeah, I enjoyed those. I, I like any narrative break. I mean, especially in graphic novels, it usually works well as long as it's set up clearly. But I enjoyed those visual breaks, the dream sequences and things. That's that's a place where you can let the artist kind of just, you know, roll with it, try and get a little creative. Yeah, yeah, get a little weird. And that uh, Charlie Brown Easter egg was... Uh, that I know, was that's a gem. Time. I didn't even see. I had no, did not notice that at all. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was a nice touch for sure. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, any other questions we have to tackle? What do you think? Um, I don't know, man. Cause I Just, think I, uh, I presented the major ones I had and actually, yeah, we covered all the major things I was thinking about a lot about conflict. Um, some of the visuals of it. Let's see. Um, we talked a little bit about the introduction and the use of the Apple technology. Oh, uh, one, <laughs> one thing that I did, uh, want to talk about was so when they do get transported to the future and they do uh meet future Aaron um they go back to her house and they are the teens are astonished by the size and shape of her television which of I course. thought was a really nice a really nice touch of course and, Goodbye, um, CRT. yeah and uh future Aaron draws out her iPhone and without even really diving into it, uh, they are then, uh, then you just see them pull out, you know, they recognize the logo on the back. They pull out their little, um, Apple device. Aaron looks at it and she doesn't know what it is, of course, because it's, you know, it, the product doesn't exist in 2016. And all of a sudden it asks her, I guess in her mind, uh, like a telepathic connection if she wants to register her device. And she immediately says, fuck yeah. I uh -huh. don't, would you just dive in to, to something like that? Well, no, I, I can't say that I would now. I already have a hard <laughs> enough time signing on to the user and agreements we have now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that was a really interesting, uh, kind of choice that she just chose to, uh, sync up to a voice in her mind uh, coming from this unknown device. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's no, it does take them what eventually to that portal that gets them to, you know, elsewhere, whether it's in the future yeah. or something. Uh, yeah, it basically, I, I then, it basically, yeah, it turns future Aaron into a GPS where she is able to, um, see locations and kind of, uh, like pins on a map. And she's able to then lead the girls to those. But yeah, again, there has to, I, yeah. And then, you know, we're kind of left with, uh, that, that kind of remains open-ended. Uh, they never tell you exactly what the pro So yeah, that's another thing for me. I think I just have to keep, keep reading and, um, yeah, I think get the next one. Just, yeah. I just want to feel. I just need to find out what that product is and what it does. <laughs> you want to know if your Apple allegiance has been misplaced this whole time? I think, yeah, it's uh, it's really bringing up some uh, if there were some a, trust issues. Yeah, if there were a techno corporation to bridge the great gap between teenagers being cool and adults trying to be cool like teenagers, maybe Apple is the stand-in for that symbol, <laughs> symbolically. Yeah. I mean, they, they maybe have done it more seamlessly than most tech companies. Yeah. Um, 
Let's move to some favorites. Now, we don't really have syntax. I mean, there's a ton of dialogue, obviously, in a graphic novel. And maybe if there's a panel yep. that stood out, you could pick one. But which uh, which panels, pages stood out to you? Or, you know, could be dialogue. Any one come to mind? Um, we talked about this one earlier, and I thought it was called the Edatrix. There's the, uh, there's the hipster grandpa who basically is uh, telling one of his uh, colonels, uh, soldiers to summon one. Yeah. And then all of the sudden, uh, we are seeing the paper girls being chased by one through the sub or not the subway, yeah. the um, sewer I, system. I thought that that would either be that or it's that massive kind of, um, ship floating airship they summon or yeah, I'm not, I wasn't really sure what that could be. Uh, yeah, they also, uh, they are, <laughs> They are shown later in the book flying some sort of it. It's kind of Captain Hook-esque. Uh, it's kind of resembles a pirate ship, but it's also more of like a blimp. It's pretty regal. Yeah, it's got the old, it's got, you know, the, the large metallic windows. It's pretty imposing. Yeah, I immediately went to uh, Peter Pan for some reason. And uh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, Captain Hook pirate ship. That's because this old man has the, you know, casual, cool allure of Captain Hook. Although nothing about Captain Hook's dress was casual. He was, yeah. <laughs> he was dressed to the nines all the time. Yeah, to the, to the nines. Um, no, but uh, the first Edatrix encounter to me I thought was really interesting and in that sort of uh, brought on the first kind of heady dream sequence, uh, which I I thought was really cool just because the orientation of how they presented it, you kind of had to flip the book the other way and it was more of a scroll than yes. it was a page turner. Yeah, I wrote that one down also. That, I mean, other than, you're right, I mean, literally the visual orientation has flipped, which makes it, you know, it's always that's always going to be yeah. striking. Um, but I thought it was, yeah. it, it, I, you know, we, we can interpret what's happening there several ways, but it's clear from the final panel before that she's, you know, going back into her memories that it's that the, the, whatever this monster is, is forcing her to relive something significant or not. Yeah. And I yeah. just, uh, the way it showed, you know, her in every position playing this game, you know, over the days, it's cold outside, it's raining, it's sunny. She's in there and playing it. It does remind you of the passage of time when you're young, you know, you spend time, oh, yeah. you know, playing a game or whatever hobby, you know, going outside and skateboarding or whatever. And these, yep. these every day kind of slots in and feels the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just noticing, um, yeah, the seasons, um, you know, new year's Christmas, her birthday, all while, the rounds just keep increasing and increasing. And then she, you know, eventually must have lost her game because she has to start over at round one. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the look on her eyes when she is released is definitely of horror, which uh, made me question if, if it was trying to taint her memories or if it just made her realize that those, you know, re repetitive panels and time spent had been a waste because she's yeah, definitely, definitely in shock of it. She, it's not as if she just relived, you know, the joys of her life and was seeing, you know, how happy she was. Although, yeah. I don't know, the colorfulness of the pan, yeah, I, I kind of got that impression. I guess it is repetitive, though. It's kind of, it maybe hmm. becomes, supposed to become kind of, not mundane, but uninteresting in how repetitive yeah. it is. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's true. 
She, we can, uh, we, yeah, we can speak on the one that I wrote. Or one of the others that I wrote down was the introduction of the uh, old hipster man. I think that's the really the best title for him. Yeah, that, that I mean, page, we'll, his opening we'll, page is pretty telling. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to put a picture of him up on the website or something because he uh, he's like the Rick Rubin from like year five thousand. Oh yeah, that's, that's a great yeah, that's a I great comparison. With, Rick Rubin has I guess that kind of regal. I don't know. This guy doesn't really have. Wait, hold on. Now I have to go back and find his first introduction. Well, it's at the beginning of chapter three. Okay, that's pretty good. Or, sorry, four. Okay, let's see. Yeah, beginning of chapter four. Oh yeah, this is a really uh, this is a really good one. And I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, he's wearing a Public Enemy T-shirt, which yep. <laughs> immediately to me uh, makes me want to trust him. <laughs> well, and, uh, yeah, it's the is it a lion in the sheep's wool? He's got a bit of a lion's mane yeah. about him, but I guess he just seems he just seems so cool. Right. I mean, he's living a clearly a bachelor lifestyle. He's got that. Yeah, you know, chilling. he's got the sandals by his bed. Yep. You know, he's got the books yep. behind him. He's, you know, clearly meant to be some kind of casually thoughtful, cool man. Um, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that is true. I mean, later, you know, you see him flying a, uh, it's not very regal. If this dude is indeed the leader of some futuristic uh, army of sorts, yeah, his, uh, his, digs, his digs are not uh, not very reflective of um, his <laughs> his uh, position of power. No, cl- yeah, clearly not. He's definitely trying to play the the. Um, I think Steve Jobs would be a good comparison. You know, he gets on stage and does not have the dress or necessarily demeanor of a man who controls however many billions of dollars that guy controlled. He's going for the casual, you know, casual, comfortable, powerful yeah. look. The, yeah, his, his phone, I mean, two things about that, it, it is, it's an apple, right? It's a physical, like the shape of an apple with an eye in it. So maybe that yep. points to what his intentions are. He's, you know, the monitor, yeah, he's nice. keeping tabs on everything. Um, but yeah. also that is a really just an ancient piece of technology. Who owns a rotary phone? Yeah, no, it's a rotary phone, uh, seemingly becrusted in uh, some tort- sort of jewel, and uh, it seems like it belongs on that ship, that pirate ship that uh, he's flying in the end. So uh-huh. he does kind of have like a weird mix of like super old stuff, but then he's got the uh, he's got that symbol on his face that. Uh, kind of just immediately shows you that he's some futuristic yeah hipster grandpa yeah the cult leader maybe he that is i don't know that's telling he doesn't you know have it doesn't seem any technology of note you know compared to the knights he commands he looks so scaled back and so relaxed that i mean that sometimes is what you want from a you know a kind of dictator like leader is you want him to seem different her to seem different but he, yeah, yeah, it's interesting true. that he doesn't partake in any of the technology they seem to enjoy. You know, he's not riding yeah. a dinosaur. He doesn't have a, you know, <laughs> laser lance. He doesn't even have yeah. an advanced phone or translator. Yeah. He uses an old piece. So there's yeah. a lot to make of that, I think. It, but again, with a lot of things left unsaid, and it, it's almost hard to speculate what that could mean. But that was an interesting frame. Yeah, I thought so too. And probably one of the more interesting characters in the book. Right, yeah, for how little page time he gets, that's certainly true. The I'll shout out the final 
image I found really striking. Um, can't give you a page, but it's near the end when they get into when all three of the errands converge. The kind of young '80s one, young future one, and then middle-aged 2016. Yeah, yeah. Could be a quicker way to designate those, but too late now. Um, <laughs> when the when the future young Aaron appears, she immediately uh, we said this earlier kills a person in a parking lot. And yeah, doesn't the, even give him a chance. The art, it wasn't. I mean, the moment is important for the reasons we spoke about, but it's more the way the art was done. Um, you just immediately know through the spirally gore that it creates that it's like a future weapon, future superpower. It just the look of it, you can almost hear. I can almost hear it, like the wet yeah. kind of like like the alien sound that it would make when it explodes. Oh, yeah. This person, uh, I thought that was just yeah. a really great piece of art. The yeah, it's kind of got these. And not DNA strands, these kind of like um, intestine-looking spirals that are exploding. Yeah, very sinewy. It looks like she uh, almost like just twisted this person uh, to death until their stomach uh, burst into fear. Yeah, and she kills a, a slug, a future slug, later in the same way. But in, the, in the similar fashion, yeah. Yeah, the, both of those uh, I thought were just incredibly visually rich just a very effective way for you to think yes that person is from the future and the weapon that she just used is not a weapon that we would understand no it's uh she just holds up her hands and this thing explodes so she's using some sort of uh either telekinetic some sort of power she's also wearing a badass yeah certainly the the one that she comes out of looks like a kind of hell diver like like you fell from orbit kind of space suit but it's red yeah, and she also has a parachute, which seems interesting to me. Like she flew down, <laughs> like she was dropped from yeah, a plane yeah. or something. Like, yeah, you came out of a physical space, not a time space. Yeah, uh, that seems funny, but um, yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And one of the coolest pieces of technology from the book, in my opinion, was um, the thing that she ends up wearing around her neck, which enables her to communicate with everybody from the past. And that we yeah. also saw in the two uh, teenagers from the beginning of the book, the mangled <laughs> cyborg teens. Yeah, the yeah, the kind of. I guess they were supposed to be dressed in sort of the traditional, I what we would traditionally call in pop culture like a, a ninja outfit because they're wearing these dark robes, kind of this baggy yeah. hooded clothing, like they're supposed yeah. to be. Yeah, that that I think was one of the. That's a classic, or struck me as like a classic Brian Vaughn page when they take their hoods off and it's like, it takes up a full page. They look like they're on a campaign poster. They're kind of looking at a horizon. They're not like looking yeah. straight ahead and they're just like, we're teens. That's a, yeah, that's a classic <laughs> twist. Yeah, no, that's true. Did we miss any pages, any frames you wanted to shout out? Anything that really stuck oh, with you? Oh, man. Well, obviously the last one. Uh, lots of questions going on. Uh, for me at least, there. Um, I don't know if we'd want to dive into the end of the book at this point, but I'm ready. I don't want to not dive in. Yeah, so to put it in context, um, they're kind of flying in a helicopter over uh, one of the last locations that future Aaron has located through her uh, future Apple mind-reading GPS device. And uh, the girls end up jumping out of the helicopter as it is being um, 
kind of taken over by, again, an Edatrix. This time, one, two, three, four, five of them. Um, these things are coming out of the sky now. And the girls jump through what looks like a portal, time portal, and land in, yeah, the blue sky, green grass, very uh, safe-looking uh, mountain. And uh, after zooming out, we see sort of this, I don't know, how would you describe that character on the mountain? Kind of like a, like a uh, it looks like something from like a Guillermo del Toro movie, kind of. Yeah, it looks like a half goat, half person, like from Greek mythology, like a satyr. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Weird looking satyr holding up the Apple logo. Um, And that's kind of how the book ends. And I thought that was also, you know, one of the more interesting uh, pictures on the page with the girl saying, we're alive. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, the quote is almost impossible to parse. I think the imagery, though, the archetype, you know, it's a mountain, it's at the top. It, it definitely leaves you with the impression that whatever this Apple technology is or this organization that runs it is, that this is they've, – they've arrived at a time when they're of some power. You know, like maybe they went to oh, the yeah. long future timeline. Um, it, it contrasts, interestingly, with the, the timeline portal Aaron, young future Aaron, had showed them that showed yeah, you know, flying – yeah, like a water planet almost, like uh, right, something you'd see right. in like Star Wars, where um, yeah, flying aliens kind of roaming around, and uh, these like seemingly uh, like structures, these homes were yeah, just coming out of the water. Totally different landscape. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. Does set up a nice contrast, and I think the you know presence of the Apple logo and. This creature that kind of, I don't know, I don't want to read too much into it, but it kind of looks, you know, menacing in some way. Um, It's definitely a contrast with with what is unquestionably the brightest, cheeriest place they've yet been. Um, Yeah. You know, that's maybe representative of some kind of false promises of adulthood, perhaps. But, yeah, Yeah. it's impossible to say just because that's where this book concludes. (laughs) That is literally the last page of the book. Right. That's where they, they sign off and out for this volume. Yeah, it did raise plenty of interesting questions of adulthood, teenage transition, um, and I think a pretty, other than KJ, who they kind of write out of the story pretty quickly. I mean, that's one of the key kind of plot motivation things, but uh, the rest I think are pretty well realized. I like Tiffany. You know, she had some funny moments, Mac. Your classic hard-nosed teen. Um, yeah. I guess we, the only thing we didn't unpack, it, we didn't really come up in the questions, but um, when she realizes that she will likely have cancer, it doesn't seem clear in the story if you can change the future yet. If there's like, yeah. if that's part of this sci-fi world, is that you can go into the past to change the future? Um, yeah. She finds out um, by visiting her old house. There's a Spanish-speaking man who informs her that her parents moved away after their daughter died. And she basically figures out that she has, I don't know, what was it, like 10 years I or something? I think leukemia. Oh, yeah, yeah. She will die in, like, you know, her uh, 20s or young young age, at a young age. Yeah. She's smoking tons of cigs in the book. And uh, one right. point they're like, you know, you should not be smoking. she's like, who gives a shit, basically. Um, yeah, it goes full fatalist. Well, I guess if you've met, if you've literally met your future 
uh, I guess not self, but you know, you find you've seen your own death in some way, then yeah, yeah, a cigarette probably at that point doesn't have much uh, meaning or bearing to you. Yeah, probably doesn't matter. The past and present and how those things collide, the book collides them, but has not yet said anything about how that resolves or what we should make of it. It's just, it's kind of looming. And obviously the fight just literally is in this story. There's just past and present people, you know, fighting it out. But yeah, there's, I think there's a lot to be, or a lot left unsaid as is, which makes it effective as a kind of graphic novel halfway point. There's a lot left, like we said to this story. Yeah. That I have to find out now. So yeah, I I think I'm I'm Uh, overall very into, and I, I think with any graphic novel, I think the art does a lot more of the work for me than than the writing usually, which is strange to say. But I, I did enjoy the the style of this. I found maybe some of the palette and color stuff to be a little redundant, but there was enough in there to spike with it spiked it up and kind of made it uh, visually interesting. I thought maybe oh, the yeah. first I don't know two chapters or so when they're mostly just riding around Cleveland, um, it was maybe a little bit visually less inter- engaging. But I felt like yeah. It, you know, by the end had lots going on. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. As soon as the dinosaurs and the, uh, well, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. call it yeah. a dinosaur, but it's like a more of a futuristic uh, bronchosaurus pterodactyl, pterodactyl? mashup. Yeah. Long neck, though, you're right. Long neck, uh, weird. Yeah, as soon as they basically landed and that dude eviscerated that, um, <laughs> that teen who was standing in the football field who was on LSD or something. Don't they? Don't aren't they just capturing them? Because there's another f- frame later in the story oh, when they're yeah. kind of full invasion. They well, use those lances to capture them and put them in those tubes. Another yeah. completely unaddressed part of the yeah, story. Totally, yeah, totally overlooked on my part as well. I thought they were just turning them into dust because they basically freeze them and then you just see them kind of blowing away. But then it makes yeah. total sense that they would be going into those pink tubes with the hips. Right, right. Yeah, and I, th- I you know symbolically we didn't hit those we didn't discuss those tubes but it does seem you know they're clearly capturing not killing the teens at least that's about as clear as the story makes it and who knows what for probably trying to siphon off their life force you know uh, the adults (laughs) as adults uh, are want to do (laughs) yeah give me your youth i want mine back let's uh let's end today with some criticism did not get any emails but a major shout out to our aunt susan now you know podcast veteran Susan, yeah. sending you yep, some season, love from season us. Season listener, uh, thanks, Aunt Susan, right. for the email. That's right. That was uh, that was special. We appreciate the um, yeah. We appreciate you tuning in. And if anybody does have questions, we love to take them at the end. None yet, but I got the feeling we're gaining traction here, Ryan. I, I got the feeling yeah, next too. next book will be the book. Everybody's got to start flooded with questions. Yeah, everybody's got to start somewhere. Uh, I feel like this is the jump off point. Right. So if you do have questions on future books or past books, send them to onthestump1 at gmail.com. That is our current email address, onthestump1, the number one, at gmail.com, all one word. Um, So instead of emails then, we'll do a couple just critical pieces, react to them. I pulled two. Did you pull any? Otherwise, I can start with one. Nope, let's do yours. Okay. Um, I pulled one from, I just, you know, did diligent Googling and read a couple reviews and pulled some paragraphs. Um, One of them is from Slate.com. I'll read that one first. And I might summarize it. It's kind of long. 
Yeah. Uh, Mac and her friends aren't nice girls per se, or rather they aren't captive to the tyranny of niceness that so often constricts female characters, particularly young ones. And then it says they bristle and crackle with transgressive spark, um, so, you know, smoking cigarettes, yada, yada. Um, it's a vision of adolescent freedom that feels both exhilarating and somewhat alien in the era of the helicopter parent. And then I pulled this quote from Vaughn because I thought it was interesting. He said, we were this generation of latchkey kids, said Vaughn. We were the last generation, I think. Um, That's interesting. How do, you, what, how do you react to that as, a, as it relates to the story? Yeah, it's um, – I agree. I like the kind of uh, the roughness about the characters. They're definitely uh, – they're definitely, uh, yeah, not your typical sweetheart, middle school uh, kind of innocent girls, I guess. You know, they're riding around, swearing, getting in fights, grabbing guns, smoking cigs, uh, killing aliens. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of nice. But I do agree with uh, Vaughn. It, and it kind of plays off that nostalgia uh, element that I think they wanted to bring in with the whole 80s um, kind of video game, like paper route, uh, kind of archaic yeah. type of job. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's going to be interesting looking back, uh, you know, 10 years from now, but yeah, they're definitely like, it's so interesting. I don't know any of my friends who are now parents who would probably, I don't know, like paper routes don't exist anymore. Like that's right, just, uh, right. And especially hiring kids, you know, like that seems like such an archaic idea. Like, oh, let's, as a newspaper, (laughs) like, let's just hire a bunch of like 13 year olds to be the ones to wake up every morning at four o'clock in the morning and like deliver everyone's paper. Yeah. Or even, I'm not sure how many teens would be interested. I sometimes talk about the kids I tutor with about or tutored about jobs and it's pretty much limited to what you already know, right? They can either do food service and work in some restaurant, fast food, whatever, or, you know, not much or get lucky doing some other random task that they just happen to fall into. Like that's the only really kind of widely known job. Um, Yeah. I think as I think the the write up on the characters is pretty spot on um, that they're they're well rounded, but immediately instead of immediately welcoming you to the story, they immediately accost you know some teenage boys. So it's a good you know yeah. I think a good bunch that they've assembled, and it's like a fun cast. Um, and they're and they're rounding them out I think in a smart way. Um, yeah, and I think yeah they play off each other well. I think all that stuff is good. The latchkey generation comment, yeah, it's intriguing. I think. It's not that parents are no longer unwilling to let their kids explore. It's almost that, and I can't speak because I wasn't an adult in the 80s, but it's almost as if the, the it's the adult-to-adult stuff that has changed. I, I think some adults would still be like, yeah, I'm comfortable. My kids should go out and play and be unrestrained and have fun, ride your bike around the neighborhood. It's like it's almost For like sure. the other adults raise the questions. And they're like, oh, really? You do that? It's It almost feels like more of a comparative thing. Like, huh. oh, you, you're, have, you're doing it that way? And I – you know, I guess I can't speak to societal attitudes about child rearing. I mean, there's definitely a lot of information nowadays that goes around about what you should and should not do. But I I think, I don't know. I think most adults know, I I don't know. This is just a feeling that at some point kids have to run free. I guess you just have to know what your limits on that are going to be. Yeah, that's true. I think everyone get every parent gets to a point, uh, ours included, where uh, they basically just want to, they're trying to kick you out of the house. And um, 
you know, we saw it a little bit, you know, be encouraging your kids to unplug and, um, you know, get away from a screen for a minute. And, um, yeah, that seems to be a new, that, that definitely, I mean, must've picked up because of the prevalence of TVs and then video games pretty much only existed in the eighties at home. And so that, that conversation, that part of parenting definitely feels new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so who knows, man, maybe Vaughn's, uh, maybe there is some truth to that. Uh, yeah. even though I'm not, what do you think latchkey means? Like, well, I think that's the expression that just means you're – I think it refers to like how the kid would get into the home without their parents there. I think latchkey kid just means a kid without supervision. That's yeah, how I've always like, uh, that phrase. Yeah, I, don't know the, can, I don't know the etymology of it though, but I think it just and, means like, yeah. Come and go as you please. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Like an unsupervised kid who just yeah, kind of hangs true. out. And, yeah, because I think you only meet uh, besides the dream sequence. We're only introduced to just uh, Max parents, her mom, or I think yeah, I think it is her stepmom. Yeah, the Step alcoholic. Mom. Yeah, so it's like you don't even really meet any of these kids. Like there are no like real parent uh, characters present in the story. No, no, just hipster man and his army of knights. <sighs> yeah, true. The other and quote a I sweet pulled T-shirt collection. I may add. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. He does have yeah. one records one and one public enemy one. The public yeah. enemy one is worth its own uh, podcast. That's a yeah. yeah. Again, early to say though for him how that would fit in with his characterization, other than that guy is reaching for sure. Yes. Yeah. He wants maybe. he wants you to know <laughs> that he listens to public enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> what's the is the is the apples? Uh, the, yeah, it's just that in the apples records T shirt. I think. Yeah, Apple Records. Yeah, okay. Again, if it's, if it's revealed later that he has taken Public Enemy and has made, you know, Flavor Flav, Chuck D, like, put them into this timeless state where he feeds them kid energy so they can just make music forever, that would be something else. I guess we'll yeah. see if that's where the plot goes. Yeah, this guy could also turn out to be Steve Jobs. There's just no, there's, everything is, uh, everything is open and possible at this point. You just don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's true. Um, the other quote I pulled was from Wired.com, uh, and this one says, The exciting moments in the story would be little more than noisy fun if it weren't for the brief, quieter moments in which Aaron, KJ, Mac, and Tiffany realize what future, what the future they've imagined or that the future they've imagined or the past they once romanticized will always look better from a distance. This may be the biggest lesson Paper Girls provides to its characters and to its readers, namely – that getting too nostalgic about what came before or fretting too deeply about what's to come is really no way to spend the present, which I think, you know, with its ideas about adulthood and the teenage transitions, right? You're neither child nor adult. I think that's a pretty good way of summarizing. I think a lot of those questions it raises about, you know, how to live pretty big questions aren't really answered, but I thought that was a pretty interesting way to kind of sum up some of the issues at play. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's something we kind of touched on is like, you know, it's like, well, is it gonna, they're they, a lot of them kind of seem like, you know, not super thrilled about where they're at in the beginning of the story. But then as soon as they look ahead, and you know, and then are able to look back, I think, if this if the story were to continue in this book, um, I think they'd kind of start realizing that they've got it pretty good <laughs> and that the, <laughs> that the future uh, sure. would suck ass and um, 
yeah, they they kind of need to live in the moment a little bit more because uh, times they are a changing. Yeah, it's it, the kids themselves. Again, this is not a very teenage mentality. That's for sure. This is an adult burden. But like the kids in the story, definitely don't wax nostalgic about anything because that again is just not really in a teenager's mind. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it'll be intriguing to see. I mean, they they quite literally kick away their future self, right? They kick that Aaron back into the portal at the end. So they're, it seems like they're rejecting, you know, looking too far ahead there. And they're solely concerned in the, throughout the main plot of the story, getting KJ back. That's the driving yeah. force. So it is, yeah. it's that teenage mindset of, you know, my friends, you know, it's my crew or bus. That's my life. Yep. And that's all I'm focused on. There's no, you know, outside influences be damned. I don't yep. care what your dinosaur horse you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't care what dinosaur horse you're riding. Yeah, um, I'm going to jump in this time machine and go find my friend. That's right. I yeah. also just flip back at the page where she, uh, the future Aaron arrives, and it's hilarious that they immediate so that she's got that really imposing armor. It's like so intense looking, like a you know battle soldier armor. Yeah. And then they immediately she immediately takes it off, but keeps the oversized backpack that just makes her look so childlike. It's a yeah. really funny contrast. I well, did I just think she, <laughs> I think she has to pack up that suit somehow, but she doesn't like ditch it. She literally just has to carry it around. Um, and she, yeah, that's true. She does like, uh, instantly like, uh, make herself look like a total, total yeah. child. She's got that awkward sixth grader who hasn't grown yet. So it's like that four, four foot sixth grader. Who's got the, the adult Jan sport on and yep. they just look totally ill proportioned. Yep. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I, I enjoyed those two quotes for, for those reasons. Um, that, unless we have any final thoughts, Ryan, will conclude the Paper Girls episode. Uh, fun start to this series. Definitely an intriguing uh, graphic novel. And I hadn't read many graphic novels that feature a teen cast. You know, we, we should all be wary of some young adult literature, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty well done. I yeah. Was- yeah, me too. And I would be um, doing this book a disservice if I also didn't shout out uh, the, what they did at the end. I thought uh, was really cool. After the book ends, they kind of go in. And they publish a lot of the uh, developments and like early sketches, um, like cover design. They kind of go in and break it down in detail, which I thought was a really nice touch. And as a designer, being able to see uh, the prog- yeah how the book progressed and how the character design kind of transformed and uh, different different aspects of building the story. I thought that was just a really nice touch. This is something I've bought. I've purchased the two saga books. Again, his another series Brian Vaughn's written. The art in that is also a strong contrast to this or is quite different. So Mm -hmm. if you're looking for different kinds of art, uh, similar storytelling, but check that out. But they do the same thing in the backs of those where they give what I'm assuming is, you know, they're like Google Doc when they're first drafting out pages and writing the story and everything. It's, you know, (laughs) this, this dialogue will go. And then it's, I'm assuming scripts kind of look this way too, where it's a brief description of like what should be in the frame and what the artist should draw. But it's, yeah, it's definitely a look behind the scenes in a very cool way. I hope all kind of big additions do things like that. Yeah. I, um, I found particular, I found it really cool. Um, the page where they're going through the progressions of each cover and, um, they kind of have like the designer and, um, Jared Fletcher who from the last page, 
Um, I think he was probably in, responsible for like the art direction for this book. Um, their conversation uh-huh. about the evolution of the cover design. I thought that was really interesting as well. Yeah, well, one thing I've learned about like comics, graphic novels, I haven't been reading them for too long, but in the last few years that I've read a few more is like the obviously writers take care of the dialogue and I think most of the storytelling and flow and then the artists come in and they bring a unique style. But I think most of the covers aren't done by the artist, by the lead. I think I feel like most of them contract out another artist to do the cover, oh, yeah. which is kind of strange. I, yeah. At least I've seen that a few times where they or they commission alternate covers where yeah. it's, they have the covers done by four different artists with drastically different styles. Yeah, that's it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the last page with all the creators on it. Uh, Cliff Chang and Jerry K. Fletcher. I think those were the only two who were talking through the cover. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was those two. And yeah. Cliff Chang was the, the lead. He's the artist for it. So yeah, um, that would stand to reason. Yeah, no, it was cool. I thought that was just a nice touch. Yeah. Well, quite enjoyable. And we've arrived at the end of another episode. Uh, it's been extremely fun. We will now do what we promise to do at the end of every episode and that's get ready for next month, uh, May, 2018 big month for you. You're getting married, which maybe we'll dive into on the next episode. Uh, it's gotta happen first. We gotta make that happen. Gotta make sure that that goes off without a hitch. It'll be a busy month, but we're still going to do an episode. We have full intent to do that. Even if we're a little busy, um, Ryan, why don't you talk us through your choice for May? Uh, what book are we reading? And, uh, yeah, what are we doing? Inspired by current events and also a recommendation from a friend of mine. Shout out to Chris Nichols, who I think we're going to try and get some uh, questions and ideas from for the next episode is a book written by uh, Michelle McNamara, and it is called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Recently Apprehended Golden State Killer. So yeah, yeah. Starting off the uh, starting off the wedding month on sinister tone, and uh, this one should, <laughs> this one should be yeah, interesting. Not, not a bleak choice for such a joyful event, but yeah. uh, it's fine. Yeah, uh, I was talking to Nichols about this book on Friday. He was um, he was telling me that he was really enjoying it, and uh, also oddly enough. Um, Michelle McNamara, I believe, recently passed away before she was able to watch the events of the last few weeks unfold in which they have finally found uh, this man. So that kind of adds an interesting, yeah, that kind of adds an interesting twist uh, to it for me. And knowing nothing about the Golden State Killer or his... um, his whole yeah no i just don't know anything about him so this will be an interesting uh yeah it's good to go in on something cold i'm i'm eager to dive in uh i hate true crime in almost every fashion not it's not like a i don't find it i just don't enjoy it it's not like i have serious criticisms against the genre i just never have liked it so i'm actually i'm looking forward to giving it a shot i don't think I've ever read a full book of true crime. You know, I did the serial podcast and things like that. It's just never been in my wheelhouse. So I'm excited to try it. Yeah. Yeah, Always good to pick up something that you're, you know, skeptical of and see how it goes. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting then because, uh, the author is a crime journalist who created the popular website, true crime diary.com. 
So this will be, yeah. <laughs> this will yeah. be so hopefully this hey, will. Uh, if, if you don't engage, you can never really articulate why. So either this will be a great exercise in why I don't like something, yeah. or it'll be fascinating. I'm sure it'll be both. And that's a perfect. It'll have to be yeah, both. That's a perfect reason to tune in next week, or sorry, next month, and uh, get the <laughs> get the lowdown from Travis, whether he truly hates it or actually finally comes to terms with the genre. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm excited truly to dive in. So we hope you join us and you know be back at the end of May. We will, as always, put out our podcast on the last day of that month. You can expect that coming up then on May. What does that go to? Thirty first Thursday. Yep. It's uh, it's been our treat to talk to you about Paper Girls today. Yep. Um, hope you enjoyed that. And Ryan, why don't you sign us out? Let's get out of here. All right, dudes. Well, we clocked in at an hour and ten again. Uh, Somehow we will get this down to under an hour and maybe, you know, one of these times uh, we'll try, (laughs) we'll get under the hour mark at some point. But in the meantime, we will see you between the pages.